Michelle. Hi, I'm Caitlin. Welcome to Better Words. Hi, Michelle. Hey, Caitlin. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. All as the way you already over the other know. side of the world. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm cold and you're warm and it's probably the same temperature. Well, actually, I'm a bit cold today. <laughs> oh, okay. Actually, I mean, this would probably get really boring for everyone listening, but we should do a weekly weather check. <laughs> <laughs> well, right now oh. it's um, like foggy, but the fog doesn't really lift. So it sort of reminds me of home a little bit because this is what it's like in winter at home. Yeah. <laughs> it rained very, very lightly the entire day. Just like drizzling and spitting like all day it's like we're sharing the same climate really yeah yeah (laughs) winter Uh, summer you know (laughs) oh my god so we are coming to you or I'm coming to you from our new flat yay um and hopefully there won't be too much road noise um there's definitely no dogs unfortunately Percy is Percy is living his best life on the farm, um, but he shall not be appearing in our podcast anymore, unfortunately. No. No, he's not. Everyone's probably like, thank yeah. God, he was so annoying. And I agree, <laughs> he was annoying. <laughs> uh, uh, so what have you been reading? Well, I've been reading lots, actually, because we haven't had internet for a while while we've been moving in and everything. So books it is. And I read one that I found in a charity shop, but it was like such a good find. You know, that moment where you're like, oh my God, holy grail. Although I think that there are just better quality books in charity shops over here. Maybe. I don't know. Like I just find. I can never find anything in secondhand shops here. I know. They're just really. Not in Rocky anyway. Really, really dodgy stuff. Like really old books that. Um, and by that I mean I don't mean like interesting old books I mean like Mills and Boone stuff from like the 80s yep so for me I was like oh my god jackpot this book was only released like last year um and you know I'm finding all these books but I've just found I've probably been there are probably four charity shops I've been in just in our town and there are really good books in all of them good at least you'll have a regular spot to hit up now Exactly. Um, so anyway, that was a massive side note. The book that I got was called This Is Going To Hurt by Adam Kay. And you've probably seen it on Instagram. Like it was doing the rounds last year when it came out. A lot of people were reading it. And it was one of those ones where I was like, uh, um, you know, it sounds okay. I sort of got it confused a little bit with, I think the book's called When Breath Becomes Air because they both had like, they're both nonfiction about doctors, I think. Ah. And I just remember These associating... These are just sounding less and less familiar the more you describe them to okay. me, at least. Anyway, you know how when books come out sometimes and something sort of similar comes out at the same time and then you sort of confuse those in your mind and associate I them I often with... merge them in my head yeah. and yeah. they become the same book. <laughs> anyway, I got this book for 75 pence And I was like, great, it looks great. I knew Grace had read it. So I was like, I think I'm going to love it. But it looks sad because I had it confused, I think, with When Breath Becomes Air. And I'm still not even sure if that's exactly the book that I had it confused with. But I thought it was going to be really sad. Um, But it's actually really hilarious. And I started reading it waiting for a train. And I kept having to laugh. I just kept having, like, little, like. Giggles to yourself. (laughs) Oh you know how you do and you just I was just like kept looking around for someone to share the joke with and there was no one um <laughs> it's so funny so this guy is now a comedian and a script tv script writer but he mm-hmm. was a doctor for I think seven years in the NHS in England and it's basically his diary of his years as a junior doctor and wow that's really interesting it's hilarious. It's actually hilarious. It's the perfect mix of like serious at times when it needs to be, but his humor is so spot on. Like it's not crass, it's not making fun of people, but it's that dark humor. And I think for me, particularly, 
I get that humour so much because it reminded me of being in a newsroom. Yeah. Because it's like serious stuff but then you can have a joke about it too and it made me really – it made me think, why did I not keep a diary of all the weird shit that happened to me as a journalist? (laughs) I mean, missed opportunity. I know. So I sort of want to write – I'm so tempted to write like a semi-fictional post in the style of – this is going yeah. to be where I talk about some of the stuff, like the stuff I would tell you guys that happened to me during the days and stuff and the, the silly press conferences I went to and like the weird stuff that happened to me. I just, it's. I mean, there would be some good stories there. Like, for sure. Even just things like stuff that my boss told me, funny <laughs> stories that he related to me. Like, I just. It's such a missed opportunity. Why didn't I do that? No. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm really – I'm kicking myself now. Anyway, it was a really good book. I actually think you'd really enjoy it It's because it's cause it sounds really so funny. funny. Yeah. It and is really I do funny. often trust your recommendations, which is what I did with my most recent read, Ice Cream mm-hmm. for Breakfast. Oh, yay. What did you think? Did oh, you like it? I really enjoyed it, and it's one of those things that – you know, you read books like this. I mean, it's like a self-help sort of book and you read it and it says like, stop apologizing, enjoys the little moments, like all these different things. But I'm just, I think sometimes you just need to hear those things again and you go, yeah, you know, wearing a cool dress to work is fun and it makes a Wednesday a bit more exciting or, you know, like, on Fridays I can, you know, go to the bakery and get my favourite sausage roll. Like, you know, just little things like that that you've got to enjoy the little moments, which I feel like is what that whole book is really about. Yeah, it's just, absolutely. Yeah, enjoying the little things a bit more and, you know, not worrying so much and, mm. yeah, I might need to reread a few passages. Yeah. <laughs> Even with things that are happening more recently, but that's all right. We'll get to that later. Um. <laughs> But, yes, the other thing, much darker, I would say, that I've been obsessed with recently is The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. I finally watched the part two that dropped, like, ages ago. I don't know why I put it off, but so good. You've watched it, haven't you? Yes, yes, we finished it a few weeks ago. It's so good. Oh, my God. I'm really interested to see where they take it. Like, I'm assuming there's a Me new season too. coming. Yeah. I Googled it straight away. There's more <laughs> coming, parts three and four. But also, it's like, you know, when this show started, and I'm like, oh, Harvey and Sabrina. I don't know how they've done it, but I don't care about Harvey and Sabrina. I like Sabrina and Nick, and I like Ros and Harvey. <laughs> I don't even I, know how they managed to accomplish that, but they did. I like Sabrina and Nick. I'm not so sure about Harvey and Roz only because I I mean I'm less sure about them but Nick God bless Nick Scratch or should I say Satan bless Nick Scratch for me it's mainly like the the hate to be like girl code but it's kind of like it it feels weird to me that you would date your best friend's ex like it just that mm, yeah so soon is a little yeah yeah when you'd be friends for so long as well like did you always have feelings? Like, I don't know. It just, it would weird me out. So I'm projecting that onto the show. Um, but, yeah. And you watched Good Girls as well, didn't you? <gasps> yes. I'm obsessed with that show. Oh, my God. It's so, so good. I want to rewatch it. Like, I just cannot believe the ending. <sighs> I was very like, impressed. I'm so really good. But it. also, like, that's what that show really did really well in the second season, especially, was all the different things that were happening, like, you know, in each episode that we then sort of got to the end and it unraveled and they repeated moments and you went like, oh, he was talking about something different, you know? Like, I love those moments and those kinds yeah. of things in shows and movies, especially. So that was cool. <laughs> Um, I am, of course, still obsessed with Love Island UK. Mm. And I Reality. won't be ashamed for that. <laughs> no. You know what? I have successfully been getting all my, all my family really into the voice over here. 
Mm-hmm. So, like, it's become now it's like, yeah, we have to watch The Voice. And then now they're all talking about it and being like, oh, my God, I don't like her. She can get voted home. It's all good. Like, so everyone's getting really into it. But it's almost over. We're at the finals. Oh. Well, that's yeah. cool, though. Finals, new winner. Almost, well, yeah. Still a few weeks so left. Long to go over here. Like, it's like three or four weeks of it, I think. <laughs> How long does it run for? I think it's like six weeks. Wow. I don't think Australia has that attention span for our reality TV shows anymore. Yeah, and They're it's all on really every short single now. night. It's on every oh night. God. See, yeah. no, all of, our show, all of our reality shows here are on like two or three nights a week. Yeah, because you have and to allow like for the footy much. on Friday night. None will run on Friday <laughs> night because the footy's on. No. And they can't compete with that. No, I guess that. so. Yeah. Oh, man. But I can, never, I can never judge which night's going to be recoupling either. You know, like um, with if you watch the block or house rules, like Sunday, maybe Monday will be like the show Reveal night. day. So you could, yeah. you could miss the rest of it and then watch the reveal day. But um, they recap everything anyway. Yeah, so I can never pick. Sometimes it's on a Sunday, sometimes it's on a Friday, unless I just haven't worked out the method for it yet. There was a really, <laughs> really big blow-up on there the other night um, because one of the girls, Maura, who owns her sexuality and is quite, you know, happy to be sexual and stuff like that, um, she was going to take one of the boys to the hideaway and all the boys were, yeah, that's the private room because they all, you know, how they all share a room and right. all the boys were being real lads and they were like, Ooh, Oh, you're going to, you're going to sleep with her. Like all that sort of stuff. And then he said, be interesting to see if she's all mouth or not. And she heard and she's like, what did you say? What did you, what did you say to them? And he said it and she's like, are you effing kidding me? And she just – but she basically just walked off and she's like, go F yourself. Oh, my um, God. And you know what was great, though, because she was like, you know, I want someone who's going to treat me with respect. And I think the guys were like, what's she so upset about? But it's true. You can own your sexuality and talk about your own, you know, sexual – pleasures and desires and stuff but guys shouldn't be so disrespectful as to then go and talk about you like like there's there's a line between you there's a difference between someone you know saying what they want what they like Mm -hmm. what they've done etc and then that being used against them in a negative way especially in like a lads culture sort of way like locker room yeah Ooh, ooh, what, ooh, yeah. what did you get up to? Like that sort of thing. And like, ooh. Yeah, she's, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like where they're yes. like, oh yeah, she's going to put out for sure and all that sort of stuff. And meanwhile, she was like, no, I'm not going to sleep with him tonight. I've only kissed him three times. Like, you yeah. know, so it was that she was like, no, you don't disrespect me like that in front of, in front of your mates. And then all the other girls were like, yeah, what if you had done something with him? You know, how's he going to talk about you afterwards? Like, I think it's just that was a really interesting example. And I think that's why I find shows like Love Island interesting because they do open up discussions about things like that. Which is why. I mean, that was a huge discussion in Australia about Married at First Sight and stuff this year, wasn't it? Yeah. I didn't even watch Married at First Sight. No. And you still hear about all of it. And one of the other things that's been discussed a lot, like this contestant has now gone home, but there was a guy on there called Joe and everyone was joking that he was like Joe from you because he was super controlling of his partner on the show. And he even said to her, I don't want you being friends with that guy. I think it's weird that you're friends with that guy. I don't, I don't, I can't trust you if you're friends with him. And everyone was like, um, excuse me, that's emotional abuse. And I think it's interesting in some ways, I think it's good for Tinga. Like, there are lots of problems with Love Island, especially when it comes to body image representation and stuff. But in some ways, it's good that These discussions are up. happening. Yeah. And, like, you can watch the relationship play out in real time, in reality, almost. And yeah. so many people... In some saying, version of a reality. That's, and I was interested that so many people were like, whoa, Joe, you're being really controlling. Whereas last year there was a guy who was quite emotionally manipulative and he wasn't mm. called out as much. So I think it's interesting to but see. It's, 
this year. That's cool. It's like yeah. how much growth we've all had in one year. Yeah. That's well, cool. Like, thanks yeah, thanks you, Netflix original. <laughs> <laughs> oh, seriously, though, he looked a bit like Joe and everyone was, like, joking that he was – yeah, really controlling. Look it up. Like Gonna Google murder her up. best friend and her boyfriend. Oh my God. Oh my Look it up though. I think you'll find it you'll find it interesting. Okay. We should link we should link to one of the articles in the show notes as well, because um it's yeah, it was quite an interesting discussion that was happening. Um and I had to I had to show Jack that thing about the guy saying that though because I just said to him like I would be mad too and I know that you would never speak about me or any other woman like that in front of the boys yeah. like and then you know the guy's excuse was oh they were all saying this to me and she's like well that's no you said it's a that. terrible excuse yeah, it's yeah. A terrible excuse grow up um so I, I think yeah that was just really interesting and kind of important to see there are a lot of problems with love islands commentary and love islands um like there's a lot of issues with race as well Mm. so I'm not saying it's perfect and there are definitely problematic things there's lots of problematic things in on Twitter of course about race and stuff like that people are really horrible but I am still addicted to it (laughs) (laughs) that's all Um, right and I'm writing a post at the moment about about all this sort of stuff. Like the fact that I feel guilty for saying I like it and stuff. So I don't know. That'll yeah. come out at some point. I'm sort of trying to work out my feelings about it. Not yeah, my violence specifically, just about those sorts of things. But Yeah. Yeah. Well, I look forward to reading that post. <laughs> yeah. Well, it mentions one of our um, favourite podcasts as well. So. Yay. <laughs> if anyone's not aware, that's Shameless by Michelle yeah. Andrews and Zara McDonald. We think they're awesome and you should definitely yes. go check them out. Actually, yeah. can I just say one more thing? Sure. I watched, I watched Bad Neighbours the other night and I just still really love Zac Efron. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I love Zac Efron. I just, I just feel like I need to chuck that in like just as a reminder. Like, he's awesome. Yeah. This is your weekly reminder. Zac Efron yeah. is great. Yeah, no, it was really good. I honestly thought I'd seen that movie and then I started watching it and was like, have I only seen Bad Neighbours 2? I don't remember any oh. of Bad Neighbours. Yeah. Weird. Oh, that's weird. I know. Oh. Weird when that happens. Bad Neighbours is hilarious. It is so good. It is so good. <laughs> so oh, funny. Oh. I love Rose Byrne in that. Yeah. 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 She's no, great. So so good. All right. Well, everyone, Zach Efron is awesome. Let's get to this interview. <laughs> Our guest this week is a New York Times bestselling author, an educator, and an activist. Her young adult and children's books have received numerous awards, and she's given lectures at the United Nations, the Library of Congress, and the U.S. Embassy in Japan. Her poetry and fiction explores the lived experiences of black girls and women and the intersections of race, class, gender, and body image. Our guest is visiting Australia from New York City to talk about her latest work with Ellen Hagen, Watch Us Rise. So we're very pleased to welcome you to Better Words, Renee Watson. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited to chat to you. Um, we both really, really loved Watch Us Rise. Oh, it was thank you. amazing. I don't know about Michelle. I think you read it quite quickly, but yeah. I actually read it um, on a road trip. So I read it literally in one sitting <laughs> in five hours in the car. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. I did that with What Mama Left Me and was like, getting really emotional (laughs) I was not prepared to feel like so sad and yeah that was that was a real sucker punch of a book (laughs) oh yeah they were they're both very different but yeah they do have some similar themes I guess dealing with grief and loss and trying to find your way yeah 
Absolutely. Yeah. So we're very pleased. Well, Caitlin read that too on her holiday mm. as well. So we both kind of read them one after the other and it was, mm-hmm. it was really good experience actually. Um, but we would love to talk to you a bit in depth about what just rise. Cause that's the book that people are probably seeing a lot of at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're probably seeing it. There's two really striking covers. There's a yellow cover and a pink cover and I love them both. Um, <laughs> I've seen a lot of them on Instagram lately. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was written with your friend Ellen Hagen. Yes. And for those who don't know, it's about two teenage girls. They start their own women's rights club. And like Caitlin said, like we think it's wonderful. It's brilliant for young girls. I mm-hmm. wish that we had had these books when we were growing up. Oh, I know. <laughs> Why did you two want to write this book? You know, I think it's kind of what you just said. We wish that we had uh, a book like this and and not just like our book, but that we had um, art to look to that would get us talking about these issues. A lot of the adults in our lives didn't necessarily explicitly talk about the intersections of race, class, and gender or what it meant to be a feminist when we were in high school. So it was a way for us to kind of do the thing that we wish we had and also to create something that um, celebrated all the young women that we work with that are amazing, um, really smart, talented girls who have a lot to say about what's happening. Ellen and I are good friends in our personal life. We met because we taught together working at um, an organization called Dream Yard and Community Word Project, which teaches poetry to young people. And we had this cohort that we would do poetry workshops with. So the book is loosely kind of inspired by these girls that we met who were writing poems and thinking about the world, responding to what was happening in the news in these really powerful ways. And we just wanted to write a book that honored their stories um, and that, you know, got people talking, hopefully, about issues that are, we think, important to girls. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I think. And I learned that, like, we both would consider ourselves quite feminist and quite, um, I guess, what's the word? Like, I don't know. we're quite across social issues. We like to read across a lot of things. We like to keep up with a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But I still learnt a couple of new things in that, that, which is always a pleasure when you learn something from a book. And we totally acknowledge we have lots more to learn. Yeah. But it was really, yeah, it was really wonderful that it wasn't, it wasn't just, um, I guess the surface level stuff that's always talked about. There was a Mm. lot, there was a lot in there. And um, I guess people always slam the younger generation for, you know, being entitled or being too obsessed with technology. But I mean, the, the fact that you base this on girls that you know too is just so encouraging and yeah. anyone who doubts the future should read that you and know, know that. I, yeah, Ellen and I have been on tour for a, a while now, um, since February, so for about three months, and we've met so many young people who relate <laughs> to Jasmine and Chelsea and who <laughs> are starting clubs at their school, and this is before they've even read the book, like they were already doing this work and so yeah it it is fascinating to me kind of the stereotypes and assumptions we can make about young people and then when I go to these author visits I meet people who are you know super motivated and and willing and open to be vulnerable and to talk about hard issues and to love each other and really be accepting in ways that I don't know what's happening when I was a kid. I mean, I do know that bullying is a thing and that there is, you know, there's a lot of work that young people need to do. But I have very encouraged uh, just by being on book tour and seeing people from all over the world um, responding to what's happening in their world through art. And it's been really special and powerful to witness that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just wonderful. It's one of those things, you know, like, Yes, we, you know, people think all these young people are doing nothing or they're just, mm-hmm. you know, maybe not as well educated or anything as adults supposedly are. But, I mean, the second you start talking to someone, you realise that's completely wrong. So yeah. it's amazing. <laughs> um, were there any challenges for you guys working together? Like, how did you actually go putting this story together with these two characters? 
You know, it's so interesting. This has really been one of the best writing experiences I've ever had. Uh, writing <laughs> is such a solitary thing. So to yeah. be in it with a partner was uh, refreshing for me and very new, and I loved it. So Ellen and I would meet um, at her apartment in New York City, and we spent the first maybe 30 minutes talking, checking in with each other, what's going on in your life, how are you, what are you watching, what are you reading, what are you caring about <laughs> right now, just so that we could, you know, kind of uh, warm up a little bit to each other and and think about the current issues that were on our minds or what we were witnessing and seeing. And then we'd plot a little bit. We had like post-it notes that we would make uh, uh, on her table. We'd spread them out and write like the big idea of each chapter and kind of, you know, with post-it notes, you can move them around. And so we would puzzle it all out and make a plot line and then write. I would write Jasmine's character, um, her chapters, and she was Chelsea. We'd set a timer and we'd write for a little while. And then when the timer went off, we'd share uh, the chapters with each other and get immediate feedback and really kind of help each other shape the chapters. And, you know, I'd say, oh, well, if that happens with Chelsea, okay, then I'm going to make sure that in my next chapter, Jasmine does this. And we would, you know, just keep adding on that way. And we literally wrote the whole book um, and including some of the revisions too. So yeah, it was great. It was a really beautiful experience. The challenge was more about the manuscript and not how we work together. I think because we've been friends for like 13 or more years. So we were fine, but there were <laughs> in the actual, um, you know, the book itself that just had some flaws in the beginning that we really needed to work through and figure out what is the story and how do we want to tell it. Um, so, you know, the real writing happens in revision, like we always say as writers. And so it took us a couple of drafts to get it to the point where we felt, you know, that it was a publication. Wow. Sounds like a really productive process, though, like with the timer and you share and get immediate feedback and everything. That sounds really useful and yeah. Yeah, productive. <laughs> it was. And, you know, like it. It was new for me because I don't always get immediate feedback. Mm. You know, I'll write. Well, yeah, it's and like I don't you know said, writing is something you do myself. Yeah, you know, so it was great to have someone in it with me and and to work out those plot points that were like, oh, I don't, I don't know how to fix this, you know, and then we could talk about it and work on it together. So that was really nice to have a writing yeah. partner. So we're working on separate projects now, but we're still creating time to just write together in the same room just to kind of keep each other accountable. I think we really liked that process of meeting and the ritual of writing and sharing work. So we've, we've still been doing that, even though we're not working on a book together anymore. Oh, well, perfect. will we get to see more of Jasmine and Chelsea in the future? <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, we'll see. If not, I think you will see more from the two of us working together so but I'm not sure if it will be following those characters but we do hope to do more work together for sure okay I can live with that <laughs> yeah <laughs> look you guys you guys make a very good team so oh, that's, thank that's you. okay thank um, you so, <laughs> so one of the really interesting things about um about Watch Us Rise and also I noticed about some of your own work as well is the way that you kind of weave poetry into how you tell the story mm -hmm. and I think poetry is something which can be fairly intimidating for a lot of people there's a lot of you know scary. <laughs> yeah like a lot of high school flashbacks of studying Shakespeare and things like mm -hmm. that <laughs> um, could you give us some recommendations for those who enjoyed um, Watch Us Rise and enjoyed that poetry, that, especially around social issues and stuff? Have you got any recommendations for people who are a bit scared to kind of dive into poetry as a thing that they read? So, like, basically me. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I Well, let me first say, you know, I, I totally understand that. And I think had I not had teachers who made poetry accessible and relevant to me, I don't know that I would like it either, you know? It's finding something that's really going to resonate with the young person. And so, yes, I had to learn Shakespeare, but I was also reading Maya Angelou and Lucille Clifton and Langston Hughes and all of these 
African-American poets who were speaking in a way that um, my, my parents talked or, you know, the people in my neighborhood spoke and about issues that mattered to me. And so I think finding poems that are relevant and that are talking about current issues is one way to get young people a little more excited about, about reading and writing their own poetry. Um, so with that said, some of my favorite writers who are kind of merging writing like novels and verse or including poems in their novels would be Jacqueline Woodson um, with Brown Girl Dreaming. That's like one of my favorite books and it's all told through verse. Um, I love the work of Nikki Grimes and, and her book, One Last Word, is a beautiful book. And some of the classic poems with, of the Harlem Renaissance with her own writing on contemporary present day. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful book. Um, and Elizabeth Acevedo, um, The Poet X, is also a great book that has poetry in it as well. Wonderful. Thank you. I'm, I'm yeah. definitely going to be adding some more poetry. Um, I, I've only really read Kate Tempest before mm -hmm. now. Yes. Um, and I really, really love Told Your Own um, and love the way that kind of retold a Greek myth and stuff. So I'm keen to yeah. sort of get more, but it is hard to find people that, yeah, sort of yeah. more accessible. You don't know where to start. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. like you said, like if you don't have teachers or people who introduce that to you, it's it's very, very hard. Yeah. Um, Ellen and I, in the back of the book, we listed all the poets that inspire us. I mean, well, not all, but most. We wrote a list of, of women poets who move us, who we teach in the classroom, um, who we look to for inspiration. So there's also that in the back of the book. Um, if young people or educators are like, where do we go now? You could like look up some of those poets um, and maybe find a few that you love. Absolutely. I think this book is very schools friendly as well and very teacher friendly. And I hope that some teachers bring it into their classrooms, especially in Australia. Like I think it would translate well and there's still a lot of issues that could be discussed. Um, one of the other really interesting things for me in Watchers Rise was that even though Chelsea and Jasmine are very, very good friends, they do go through some difficult patches in their friendship. And it was really good to see them educate each other mm -hmm. and work through their issues rather than just sort of not speaking to each other or getting really angry. Um, and I think they, they sort of do the same with people who are rude to them or, or a girl in particular who's bullying them um they sort of take that and educate her um so with this in mind I'm really interested to know how you feel about this rise of like what people are terming cancel culture um mm -hmm. so the idea of like boycotting people who might unintentionally do the wrong thing um so obviously not people who intentionally go out and, you know, say vile things, but if people are doing it from a place of miseducation, should we educate them or should we just boycott? Like, how do you feel about that? Yeah, you know, I think it's complicated. I think that it depends, right, on the circumstance. But in general, I really do feel like um, we should offer grace to people and forgive and think about, you know, intent and impact. And so I, I do think that a lot of times people have good intention and they're not meaning to be offensive. They're not aware of what they're doing, what they're saying, and why it's impacting people in, in this hurtful way. And so, yeah, I think there is a time where you can say, look, this hurts me. This is um, based off of a stereotype or this is, you know, offensive. I think it's totally fine to say and to give that person a chance to make that wrong or right by either apologizing or, you know, fixing the work if, the, if it's something that they've created that was offensive. Uh, and I do think, though, that there there does come a time where you're like, okay, so we've had this conversation a few times and clearly <laughs> you don't want to change or you're not getting it. And so I, you know, need to move on and maybe we're not friends or maybe um, I'm not going to buy your music or, you know, participate in your art form or whatever the situation is. So I, I'm kind of in both camps in that I do think we need to talk it out and think about, like, you can't just cancel everybody or you're not going to be talking to anyone because people are going to offend you, you know, even people you love. And you're going to mm. 
also offend people. Like I'm not perfect and no one is. And so I'm always thinking of, well, how would I want to be treated? Like if I said something super offensive and really hurt someone, what would I want them to do for me? That's such a basic thing, right? Do unto others as we want them to do unto us. And so um, I think about that a lot, that one day it could be me, that we're all kind of on our growing edge. It just depends on the subject matter. There's certain things I'm very uh, knowledgeable about. And then there's other areas where I'm, I'm learning. And so I think I'll fumble and make mistakes. And I hope that people are patient with me. But I do think there comes a time where that patience runs out, right? And you're just like, okay, so clearly you don't care and you don't, you're not thinking about your impact. Um, and when it gets to that point, then yes, I do think there's a time to walk away from a person um, and say, this is toxic and this is not healthy for me, so I'm not going to you know, engage anymore. So I think it just depends, but um, I, I lean more into grace than I do into cutting people out. Yeah, I think that's yeah. the best way to put it. I think that's a really, really nice approach to just, you know, like you said, remember to be, you know, just a bit kind. And, and compassionate. And compassionate and try and understand, you know, where that's coming from because most of the time people don't realise what they're saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I agree. Mm. So and, and To your point, sorry, in the book, you know, thinking about as one of the reasons why we included that scene where Chelsea mm-hmm. really hurts Jasmine's feelings and does something that's so, it's its seemingly small. Like she, you know, it's okay to say what she She doesn't forget. She doesn't order a size that Jasmine can fit. They're doing mm-hmm. this whole social action and she's ordering shirts that everyone can wear, but she doesn't think about her friend who is visibly fat plus size girl, you know, a big girl. Mm. And so Jasmine is just like, how in the world are we best friends and we've known each other for so long and you didn't think about me? Um, so they have to work through that. And we thought it was important that the girls, even though they are budding activists and feminists and they're finding their way, that they get it wrong sometimes and they make mistakes and they kind of have blind spots for certain things. And I just think that that's normal. That's very human that, you know, you can be so um, aware about race and maybe and not, not about gender or whatever the thing is. And so I think we just wanted to show that you it's okay to be flawed, but you got to own that and work on it. And how do you move forward? Um, and that you don't have to wait to take action just because you're not perfect, right? So we, if we keep yeah. saying, well, I don't know everything, so I'm not going to say anything. That's not helpful. So you know, yeah. we have to be okay with making mistakes so that yeah. we can raise our voices instead of just standing on the sidelines because we're too afraid that we may offend someone. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just from a relationship point of view as well, it's nice to see friends. It, like, It's nice to acknowledge that just because you're friends doesn't mean you will always agree on everything. Yeah. And yeah. That, that doesn't have to be the end of your friendship. Because I think, especially with teenage girls, um, or especially with the teenage teenagers I knew, um, and the group of people I was friends with, there was a lot of that, like, yeah, exactly. And it was like, you've done me wrong, therefore I won't talk to you. And Mm -hmm. that sort of stuff um, ends up being really harmful to your future, like romantic relationships. It can really Mm -hmm. shape the way you interact with people. So to see that as an example in young in a, in a book for young audiences was really nice because it also yeah. shows the same with romantic relationships as well. You might have this wonderful bond and connection, but no one is perfect. So right. you've got to work through that and it is, it is work. And yeah, I just really appreciated seeing that in a, in a young adult book in, in the way it's done. It's so nuanced as well and kind of tackles it, like you said, from the activist point of view but also from a, just a general relationships point of view. Yeah. It was really, really good. Yeah. Um, so as, as you were just saying before, the intersection of a lot of different social issues is something that's explored in Watch Us Rise and, and in a lot of other 
other work that you've done as well. Um, and obviously your work is, is very diverse. It's, um, you know, your lived experience and um, that of the people that you know. Um, there's a lot of discussion, I guess, in the publishing industry about publishers being the gatekeepers. So I'm just curious to know, have you ever had any pushback or hesitation from publishers when it comes to the subject matter of your work? You know, I've been very fortunate that I haven't had a lot of pushback as far as um, what I want to write about. I do think sometimes because I'm writing about a culture that some of my editors have not experienced, you know, um, they there's just a lot of questions about, uh, well, is this believable? You know, why would this happen this way? And, and some of that is just this you know, assumptions about the neighborhood that I'm writing about and the types of characters that I write about. So I've had to have conversations around, you know, um, not wanting to perpetuate some of the stereotypes about young black girls or wanting to hopefully do something a little more nuanced with the girl, you know, if, if I think about piecing me together and Jade's character um, and the neighborhood that she grows up in, I think there's a way you could write about that neighborhood where you would feel a lot of pity for her. But I wanted to make sure we were celebrating the beauty of her neighborhood too. And so just making sure I can have those kinds of conversations with my editors have, has been um, important. And I'm very intentional about, about that. So no, I haven't had any pushback on what I want to write about, but sometimes the way I want to write about it comes up in, in editorial notes. And then I've had a lot of conversations about covers. Covers are very challenging for, I think every author has some horror story about the <laughs> cover, but I, I've found that, you know, it's, it's challenging to write about, to, not to write about, but to create art around a dark-skinned Black girl who lives in the Pacific Northwest, um, which is very a different space that a lot of YA books don't take place in. And a lot of my characters are big girls. So there's just all of that you can't find in clip art. You can't find like, <laughs> just images that exist. And so that's been challenging is to really make sure characters look the way they describe themselves and that it's okay to have a character literally take up space on the cover as a big girl and not just make her a tiny bit bigger than thin, but like a really <laughs> fat girl on a cover, you know? So those kinds of things are hair texture, things like that have been more of the challenges for me writing about the types of girls I write about. But the content, I haven't had much pushback. And have the publishers been quite willing to work with you on those covers? Because I know sometimes it can be taken out of your hands. So have they listened when you've raised any issues? Yes, I, again, just, I love my team and we've been very open with each other about you know, what we want and what we're, what we're trying to go for. And so sometimes it, it, it's never been like, oh, they don't want to do it. It's just hard to find or hard to find an illustrator who can deliver what we're asking for. So it, it mm -hmm. isn't, you know, that they're unwilling. It's just, it's not the default. So it's a little trickier to figure out how to do it. But yeah, I, I mean, we've gone back and forth and they're very, very um, open to my feedback, which I really appreciate because I know that that's not the case. Like you said, sometimes that's, you know, they don't even ask and they'll just give you a cover and that's what you have to live with. So I feel very Here it is. Yeah, um, I'm very fortunate that even with my picture books, I've had, you know, some say and input on the art, which has been great. Um, I was just watching Brene Brown's Netflix special um, the other day, and yes, she was talking about too. her. Yeah, she was talking about her covers. So yes. her book deals with vulnerability yeah. and being strong in that. And she was showing these hilarious covers. She's like, people literally don't know how to <laughs> deal with this. They don't know how to represent yeah. courage. And she has that hilarious cover with like the elephant. Yes. And she's like, in what world did they think that I wanted my name <laughs> under an elephant on a book? Like, no yeah. woman wants that. It was so great. It was, yeah, I just watched that too, by the way. And was just so tickled by that. I'm like, okay, well, everyone has issues with their covers. But I think it was interesting, too, when you think about, yeah, like 
how do you show bravery or courage? And especially when you're talking about, for me, you know, a, a girl character, I do think that um, I've had to have conversations around that too. So not my characters and their blackness, but the character's gender. And is it okay? Like, what does a strong girl look like on a cover? And mm. does she have to be, do girls have to be smiling and looking so like, you know, gentle and, and friendly and all these terms that we use to describe a certain type of girl. Like, well, what if the adjectives are different and it's bold and brave and strong and fierce? What does that look like on a cover? And is that okay to have a girl on a cover that isn't smiling and that isn't looking super friendly? Um, so yes, I've had to think about, you know, all of that, what they look like physically like making sure they look the way they describe themselves, but also making sure they look like how their personalities are and that, <laughs> um, and that they're showing some of the strength and resilience and not just some of the softer things that I think we like to associate with girl characters. Mm-hmm. So all of that is what, you know, we're having discussions about, which I know it's hard because you're also trying to market and brand and, you know, it's the business side of publishing too that sometimes gets in the way of what the what my my um, values are or what I'm focused. So it's good to have those conversations with multiple people who all care about the book, want the book to succeed, and so we're all just trying to think what is the best image to convey what we're trying to say. Um, I think the cover of What Mama Left Me, the, the new cover of that yes. is particularly striking. It's beautiful mm. illustration. Yeah, Thank you. I really love it too. I feel like it truly captures um, Serenity's um, personality, her emotional state, and it's it's somber, but it's hopeful. And I, mm. I like balance of you know she's contemplative and it, it, you can tell that okay there's something serious happening here but it, to me it doesn't feel um like there's despair like there's something about it that is also peaceful and, cool. and I feel like that that was really important for us to get right this time around yeah absolutely I do just want to say to you mention a project that um, our friend Grace has been involved in. It's Dove and Getty Images mm. have been doing. Mm. Um, uh, I can't remember what the hashtag is. What they're exactly calling. Yeah, it. yeah. but basically they're creating a new set of um, stock photos. Stock photos. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yes. So our friend Grace has um, a shaved head, and she had a brain tumor, so she has scars on her head from her operations, and you mm. know the photos are really striking because she's there with her scars and she's been used, I think, on like two or three different cosmopolitan stories so far about, you know, like the best moisturisers for your skin or, you know, stuff like that. So um, I think projects like that are really cool as well because it's basically saying like we want to see more people like us, so people with scars or people who are different sizes, people with different skin colours, people mm. who have different hairstyles, people with disabilities. Like, yes. it's really Humans. cool. Actually, there's another brand in Australia too called, um, I think it's Moddy Body, which does mm-hmm. like the period underwear and stuff. But the oh, reason yeah. their ads have caught my eye is because they also do leggings. And on one of their ads, there is a girl um, with a prosthetic leg running in the leggings. And I mm-hmm. see that every time. And I'm like, that is so cool. I've actually seen that one. Yeah, I don't know. Like, it keeps coming up on my Instagram feed, probably because I follow so many feminist things. I don't know. It's like, it's like, hmm, you'll want period underwear. Um, mm. But I keep seeing that, and every time I see it, I think that is so cool. I want to support yeah. your brand yeah. because you support diversity. Right, right. It's so important. So, yeah, I'm so glad to hear that. That's amazing. Yeah, I think that's just really cool. Anyway, that was an aside, but I think yeah. it's, it's cool to talk <laughs> about that. And also, if people are listening to this podcast and they haven't heard our episode with grace she's we recorded with her a few ages ago yeah (laughs) like nearly like a few years ago now so you can go back and listen to her talk about body image and stuff because she's really cool as well um yeah so next next question (laughs) um you are a writer a teacher a performer how do these various you know professional i guess your various professions various roles influence your writing Hmm. I think the first thing that that comes to mind is that most of my work has been 
with young people, and, and that ranges from, you know, the little ones that are picture book level and all the way through early college. And so I've, I've been a teacher for many years, not a full-time like classroom teacher, but a guest poet in the schools teaching poetry workshops with young people, always centered around some type of um, social issue where the young people were reading the news and um, watching the news and then creating art in response to what they would see or celebrating the everyday heroes in their neighborhood and the local history. So, so much of what I did in my professional life before becoming a full-time writer was the work that ended up inspiring a lot of the stories that I tell now as an author. So yeah, it goes very hand in hand for me. Um, the young people that I've worked with over the years have definitely inspired me to write and and also inspired me to be a better person, like just to really think about um, living what I teach and not just asking young people to raise their voice and do something, but for me to do that too. So in my own personal life outside of the book, I've had to challenge myself to, you know, you can't just go out and do these visits with young people and try to get them all excited and pumped up to go change the world what are you doing in your local community and so <laughs> I've had to think about that a lot and and make sure that I'm you know trying to live by example and not just by what I say yeah absolutely absolutely and that I mean I guess that's a good reminder the kids you yeah. teach sound so awesome by the way yeah <laughs> <laughs> they are I mean you know they're kids so it definitely is challenging and and I don't do that work as much as I used to because I, my writing has me, you know, traveling more and, and I needed to, to be, I wanted to be consistent in their lives. So I don't teach like I used to, but um, yeah, they are amazing. And even the ones who like would start off telling me that they hate writing and they didn't want to be in the class or um, <laughs> just had a lot going on and for whatever reason could not emotionally handle being, you know, that vulnerable on the page. Um, still, there was some type of connection with all of my students that taught me how to be either a better teacher or, um, you know, to learn patience and to or to other to understand that it's not always about me. You know, like as when you come into a, a situation, you come into a class, you have your lesson plan, you're so pumped and excited you think it's amazing and then you start teaching it and you realize that half the class is checked out you can <laughs> go one way of being like oh what's wrong with the kids of today they just don't care about you know learning and all these things or you could ask yourself like I had to ask myself well what am I doing that's making them bored like why are they not mm. engaged and how can I bring something to the table that's going to make them sit up in their chair and really want to participate in my class. And so I've definitely had reluctant writers, reluctant readers, students who were very hard and challenging to work with. But I I wanted to look at that as like, well, what can I do to bring to bring them into the class instead of kind of push them further out? Most of the time, something else was happening that I had no idea about home life, you know, friendship mm -hmm. stuff that they were just carrying into the classroom. And so I try to make um, a container for their emotions and say, okay, we'll bring that in and let's talk about it and let's make art around it. And I think that was why it was successful for me to be, you know, to teach with young people um, was because I respected their lives. Even though they're young lives, they are lives and they are, mm -hmm. their sadness is real, their anger is real and um, their joy is, is real. And so I wanted all of that in the class and wasn't asking them to leave their personal lives outside the door. Oh, you sound like Again, such a wonderful teacher. Just a wonderful Gosh. approach. <laughs> um, so I was, when I was researching my questions for this, um, I read an interview with you and Ellen where you talked about your sisters, and I was really interested um, where you said that your sisters taught you that joy can be a form of resistance and a source of strength. Can you expand on that a little bit more and kind of talk talk us through your own philosophy when it comes to activism? Sure. When I was um, talking about that, I was thinking about the ways in which um, 
sometimes when you when you feel oppressed, when you feel like there are systems in place that want to keep you um, down, and there are people who don't want you to succeed. Um, and this can be in very small or very big ways. Like there's one way you could go about living is to you know be more depressed and angry and sad and kind of walk in that on a daily basis and wear it and kind of have ownership of that pain and that kind of woe is me, life is not fair. Or I think you can take that and say, well, regardless of what you think about me or regardless of how you keep trying to keep my people down, my neighborhood down, my gender down, whatever the thing is, um, I am going to choose joy. I'm going to choose to rise. I'm still going to laugh. I'm going to dance. I'm going to make music. I'm going to make art. I'm going to celebrate things that you disregard and you call ugly, but I see beauty in it. And all of that is a way to resist. And just getting up in the morning and living your life and and finding um, joy in the small things, I think, is a way to say, I'm still here, I'm still standing, and you can't, you know, destroy me. And so I think, especially when talking to young people, that it's important to think about, yeah, you know, you can't control the everything. You can't change everything. You really don't have a lot of power when you're a young person especially. But what can you control? Your response to things. You can control what you create. And so that's one of the things that's so about creating art. And when I'm saying art, I mean, you know, music, dance, theater, visual art, writing, uh, etc. That you are in control of that thing. And I think there's something powerful about that. When you get to make something in response to something that's hurtful, um, there's something that is really powerful about kind of like taking the power back, taking the mic back and saying, no, no, no. You keep trying to tell my story for me, but I'm going to tell it in my own words. Um, and so in that way, that is a form of resistance. It's not the only way to resist, but I think it is a way to resist. And so when I'm talking to people who feel powerless, I think that's a place to start. And of course, there's voting and there's marching and there's all these other things that we need to do too. But I, I do think there's a good starting place is just to ask someone, well, what do you want to say? Like, what do you have to say? And also, what are you... Where is the hope? And where we talk so much about the struggle and the pain of our lives when you're marginalized. But I think it's important to also celebrate um, your the legacy that you have behind you of all these people who, who fought and fought for you <laughs> to be here. Um, and now what are you going to do now that you are here? How do you carry that forward? So that's where that was um, coming from. And that's kind of what I think about activism in general. I think there's so many ways to be an activist and I try not to be, I try not to be judgmental or uh, kind of didactic about it, right? Because everyone is different. And so your personality will also dictate what you feel comfortable doing. Um, I just want you to do something. Like I, you know, it's like, define, figure it out. If it's art, if it's marching, if it's making phone calls to your, you know, leaders, who are in power, whatever you feel comfortable doing, do something and don't just sit in silence and watch things happen. Get involved in whatever way you can. Absolutely. I think voting is one of the, the best ways as well. Yeah. Um, and taking your vote seriously. Yeah, like we were talking about that with um, with Claire Wright, who wrote a book about how Australian women won the right to vote. And, mm. you know, she was saying that, we as Australians should be so incredibly proud of the fact that we have this amazing electoral system where we have compulsory voting. And, you know, we were just commenting on the fact that as women, you know, we should take that seriously. So many people fought for this right. And yeah. it's exactly the same with so many other rights that, that we have now. We should, like you said, remember the people who came before and, and fought for those yeah. rights and, and respect that by carrying it carrying it on yeah and yeah taking it seriously <laughs> yeah well I think taking it seriously is a, you know it's important to vote everywhere but I think in Australia because we have compulsory voting a lot of yeah, people then people go don't. yeah they think it's not important mm -hmm. and it is mm. so yeah for us 
taking it seriously for everyone that doesn't have compulsory voting, actually getting out and registering and voting is mm-hmm. incredibly important. So, yeah, and probably one of the easiest things you can do too because you just go and check a box and you, you've done a little bit. You've had yeah. your say. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Um, look, it's been absolute pleasure to talk to you tonight, Renee. Um, oh, I just feel so inspired and empowered, and yeah, it's kind of like I wish I'd had you as a teacher. Like, oh, <laughs> you sound so awesome as a teacher. It's oh just wonderful. Goodness. And you're such a good speaker. Like we've just been sitting here, like listening, like you. Everything has been so well said. And the main thing um, I think that, you know, I felt felt in your work too and I felt talking to you and and you've mentioned a couple of times is that compassion and grace for other people. And I think that that, yeah, I think that's like in, if all of us can be activists in our own way, but I think keeping those values top of mind um, will make for a nicer society in general. So it's just been wonderful to hear you talk about that. Um, and we really appreciated talking to you. Thank you. Thanks for making time and for inviting me to the show. I appreciate it. Oh, it's absolutely our pleasure. Um, so where can people find you um, online? Online, my website is my name. So www.reneewatson.net. And it's Renee with two E's. Um, and then I am on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook under my name, Renee Watson. Uh, so you could type that in and I'll, I'll pop up. Fantastic. Wonderful. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your time in Australia. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Better Words. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you left a rating or review on iTunes. It really would mean the world to us. And you can also find us at our website, betterwordspodcast.com and on social media at betterwordspod on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Bye. Bye.